are listening to Fed by Ravens with Matt and Adam. Good morning, Matt. Good morning, Adam. Welcome to day 327 and 328 of Fed by Ravens. We are orally passing along the story of scripture and what a story it is. Way more complicated and beautiful and more apprehendable than we ever imagined. Yeah, the themes are right there in front of us, and they've been there for a long time. You so just let's had to engage it for three hundred and twenty-eight days. We just had to engage it for a little bit, and surprise! It's <laughs> a good surprise. It paid off. Um, where are we today in the OT? All right. Our Old Testament reading for today is Ezekiel chapter forty-three through chapter forty-six. Turning the pages of scripture, we uh, have a beautiful vision that Ezekiel has been, uh, his book is kind of bookended, yeah. beginning with a vision of God's throne, and now ending, uh, as we wrap up, we're, we're pretty close to the end of Ezekiel, mm-hmm. the next recording will finish it up, but he is giving the exiled people a vision of uh, a renewed temple. Yeah. When in reality, their temple is rubble mm-hmm. and has been for at least for 14 years, probably to the day, actually. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> we, you just heard a noise and you scared me. You looked behind me. I'm like, is someone here? I think the Spirit of the Lord is here, Matt. Oh, okay. He just sat down. Um, so Ezekiel is giving the prophecy of a rebuilt temple. <laughs> Stop scaring me. You know, the original audience was probably scared by this too. Like, Ezekiel, the priest, has become a prophet for over 20 years or more now. And he's saying uh, the temple is going to be rebuilt. It's been measured out because God cares Mm -hmm. about that. And now we get the glory of the Lord fills the temple in chapter 43. And guess what the glory of the Lord sounds like? A rushing wind. That's right. A, A mighty wind. It sounds like water, just many waters rushing, which God loves that sound. Oh, yeah. Because there's so mm-hmm. much water involved in the story. And, uh, and this is what they hear at Pentecost, right? Yeah. So this is really cool, especially when you um, refer back to his first vision of mm-hmm. the temple, when he was first getting the tour. And the last time he was getting a uh, heavenly tour of the temple, it was corrupt, and he saw God's Spirit leaving. Yes. And now, in chapter 43, he gets to see the spirit of God returning back to the temple. And historically, like from the writings of Josephus, who was uh, 100 years, 200 years removed from the fall, the actual fall of, the future fall of Jerusalem in A.D. 70. Yeah. He writes that they could see the spirit of God leaving the temple. Yeah, when it was destroyed a second time. Which is interesting. This is all now just imagination, but Ezekiel's is a prophetic vision, so things could have, worked out again mm-hmm. that way. But that's just kind of fun conjecture. It doesn't really matter. What yeah. matters is God is in this temple now. Yes. This vision of the temple that's going to be brought back from the rubble, God will dwell in. And again, I'll just shortcut right to the theme. Your body of death, your body that carries sin and mm-hmm. corruption will die, but God can still fill it. Yeah. And so he fills this, at the moment, destroyed temple. Mm-hmm. And so the hope here, Ezekiel is saying, man, there is a temple. There is a place where God is. It's measured out. It's perfect. I've showed you the plans. And he's speaking 
from his throne. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I want to live with my people. So the heart of God is never up for grabs. There's no mystery to it. And if you've been with us 328 days, there's no mystery to God's ridiculous commitment to his people. He is constantly sending people, uh, giving messages to say, I want you to carry my name and I want to carry your name. I want to be your people. I want you to be my people. Mm-hmm. And so he describes the temple to them. And if they're ashamed, that's good. Yeah. Let them be ashamed because you're going to get back into this temple, the spirit of God. You have access to God with us. And it's going to be through, again, not a surprise, repentance and absolution, forgiveness mm-hmm. of sin. And so um, the whole, to me, the whole idea is God with us, Emmanuel. Is right. that this is the carrying out of Isaiah's great prophecy, Emmanuel, uh, God with us. And so he sets apart the whole temple. It's filled again with the true glory of God, not a fake or not a manipulative version of that. It's true. And then he sets up the altar. Yeah, so he starts to go through, and, and it's very similar, if you remember back in Leviticus, to mm-hmm. how they were supposed to set everything apart, that the priests were supposed to go in, uh, make atonement for their sins, and then also consecrate uh, each of the different objects in the temple with uh, a sprinkling of blood of spotless animals. Right, and the connection I made here, again, because this is like the third time, so you have... Uh, the regulations and the blueprint Mm -hmm. to Moses, very Mm -hmm. clear, then to Solomon. Yes. And now it's all destroyed and it's to Ezekiel to this future. So he's using old, old covenant terms to describe a new covenant. And you can find it when you're, when you're reading it just honestly and not looking to prove a point, you'll see, uh, he's not talking about necessarily a future temple place. Right. He's saying, I'm talking about the heavenly temple by which all the other temples were built after and trying to look like. Mm-hmm. And so um, I just realized, he goes, there's things built with earthly materials by sinful hands. All of that stuff that was built, even in the worship, even the altar itself, was from sinful people and from sinful like s- stuff of the earth that right. was under the curse. And so that's the need for it to be have blood on it and mm-hmm. to be cleansed by blood for seven days before it can be used on the eighth day. Right. And then, um, so that's just like behind it all right. as he's restoring the hope of this. But then he mentions the Levites who totally dropped the ball. Yeah, so he, he kind of gets on the... Uh, so if you remember, the, Le- the Levites were just as a whole ministers of the things of God. They were mm-hmm. in charge of handling the things of God. They were set apart for his purpose. Now, there was a special line within the Levites, the, the line of Aaron, who were the priests who got to minister in the Holy of Holies, who would handle the sacrifices, who would do all those things. And then when we got to David, there was two main families within the line of Aaron, the line of Zadok and the line of Abiathar. Oh, and yeah. Abiathar was the one who betrayed uh, David and set up Absalom as king and chased David out of the city. And so uh, Abiathar was cursed and removed from the priestly duties. And so they're kind of referring kind of back to that kind of incident of Mm -hmm. there was a time where the priests dropped the ball in the past, and the faithful ones were through the line of Zadok. And so all the priests in the past who uh, did not minister the things of God correctly, did not honor them, who helped lead the people into idolatrous worship, 
they are no longer allowed to handle the things of God. Only the faithful priests through the line of Zadok can continue to make sacrifices for the people. And God says to Ezekiel, I will accept you. You come, you need to be cleansed. Like mm-hmm. I've been saying this, this has to happen. I've provided now the, the true line, Zadok, that's mm-hmm. still with you. And so it just makes you appreciate more and more, you know, I don't know. I, I remember hearing as a kid, like, if you have sin in your life, God can't hear you. Right. And I fought against that because I'm like, well, we're all sinners. He has to hear us. Mm-hmm. But I'm realizing after this Thanksgiving week where we have like five dogs in the house, there's this cute little golden doodle. And five? It, yeah, because everybody brought their dogs. Woof. And um, woof indeed, Matt. Woof indeed. Rough. But what I realized is one of the dogs kept licking and like bothering me. And when I looked at it, mm-hmm. I was like, doing my best impersonation of Caesar Milan, dog whisperer. Mm-hmm. I looked at this dog and I was like, down. The thing just rolled over on its belly. Right. And it was super cute. And then you had to pet its belly. Right. And this is all that to say. Okay. I, I get I get it now. Is that we, you can't just say, oh God, help me. God, where are you? God, like you can't just burst into the president's office. Right. And the way we get God's attention is we roll over on our backs and open up our stomachs. Like, it's repentance. It's to say, yeah. God, forgive me. Uh, I come to you in Jesus' name. And that's the rolling over. And he's mm-hmm. like, I accept you. Mm-hmm. That's because, see, J- Jesus has been the high priest. He's offered the blood. He's purified everything. So though you come at me as a mangy mutt, potentially full of rabies, trying to attack me, if you roll over on your stomach and allow me just to pet you, that's your repent. Like, roll over and say, right. God, I love you. I trust you. And so Christ's cross is our altar now by mm-hmm. which the Lord has consecrated us. So we're consecrated, set apart to go before God. Anyway, that's all applying the New Testament. At The original audience is just going, whoa, he's setting up a new temple. And then he sets up a gate for the prince, which is kind of a new... This is new. Yeah. This is really cool. So It's big. It's a big thought, too. So when uh, Ezekiel sees the presence of the Lord enter the temple, he enters in from the east and... After he enters in, he tells Ezekiel that way, the east gate, is going to remain shut. Mm. Uh, except for like s- Sabbaths and new moon festivals. But it remains shut. No one is to enter it because it's holy. That's the way that the Lord entered into the temple. No one can uh-huh. enter into that anymore because the Lord's entered into it and it's holy. Nice. And the only person who can have access to that gate at uh, anytime is the prince. And so they're moving away from, they used to have kings, mm-hmm. and they're moving away from that setup, and now we're just going to be hearing about the prince. And it's less of a, uh, what we would think of as a traditional government leader, mm-hmm. and more of a spiritual leader in a role. And so the, the prince didn't actually enter through the gate, but entered through like a side door. And, and he would stand in the gate and offer sacrifices on behalf of the people. So the significance of princely language as opposed to king is that God is the king. Mm-hmm. And then, so underneath the king, you yes. have God, the king, and then you have the king's sons. Yep. Kings in waiting, I guess. But they're, they're never going to have to be king because we uh, the prince comes in. Yes. And so this would this mean 
like Israel or certain actual leaders, I'm sure, yeah. actual leaders, but also it symbolizes kind of like it's Israel simbol- now is going to be under a princely rule because yes. they couldn't handle the kingly rule. Mm-hmm. And that there was going to, and it's still through the line of David, and there's, a, it's a foreshadowing totally of Jesus. Who, who is o- the who Prince of Peace. Offers the sacrifice on our behalf. Right. And so it was the, the it, it goes through what the prince's duties were. Yeah. And the prince's duties are to offer up the sacrifices for the people. So the people would give like kind of a tax to the prince, but then the prince would take that and provide everything for the sacrifices for the people. And he was allowed to be in that gate whenever he was offering up those sacrifices. And it's totally Jesus. Yes. The prince, it's so brilliant because mm-hmm. Isaiah is the prince of peace, the everlasting God, the mm-hmm. counselor, all the good stuff of a prince. So now the expectation is, and this, again, this is all future things that Ezekiel is speaking. Yes. And so this prince will act as kind of like a David high priest. Yes. So he's going to be a high priest for us forever. Mm-hmm. And so then the rest of it is, so you can get lost reading this thinking, uh, it's this same stuff I, I, I slept through in, in Leviticus. Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy mm-hmm. and even, um, I don't know. Anyway, but it's significant because things, while they sound the same, they're actually really changing. Yes. Everything's changing. And so um, one of the things is who's allowed in. I I. Yeah. I'm trying to remember where that was. It was this great section, maybe in 40... It might have been in 46 40. or 45. Well, so he's breaking apart. Yeah, okay, I see. So we he resets the temple. He's resetting the Holy Land. Yeah, there's a, a big... In so, 45. So one of God's big complaints about the, the past worship was that uh, what he had declared holy was being mixed with unholy things. Right. And so that, like, the greed of the kings and uh, money and idolatry was starting to mix within the temple and around the temple and all these things that God had set apart as, like, this is for me and you need to take this stuff seriously. And uh, just because like, a wall will separate uh, the sacrifices to me and your commerce or the graveyard for the kings... That's not good enough. We need to have clear boundaries of what's mine and then what's yours. And so he's kind of redefining, like, we need to have clear boundaries set up on what is holy and what is not. And the priest's jobs are going to be to teach you what is holy and what is not. And I'm just thinking it's so good. Like, it, here's why it's so good. is because even in our day, we're longing for better kings. Mm-hmm. And every generation has wanted a better king and the problem is that whoever gets into power and whatever people you're ruling, it's always mixed with sin. Like, there's mm-hmm. always crime. There's always homelessness. There's always disease. And even if you're trying to be fair, like, oh, I mean, let, in our day, we want someone to handle all those problems. But if you're reasonable and you think about it, you're like, who could lead us and <laughs> yeah. handle what's, like, going to happen tomorrow? Like, what big thing is going to happen tomorrow? And so I'm just reminding everybody and myself, our story is 100% better. Mm-hmm. Like, if anyone, I don't know, if you think, well, I don't believe in all this Jesus stuff. Well, you're believing in something more ridiculous, that uh, a mixed up human mm-hmm. is going to be wise and powerful and eternal enough to fix all the problems of, uh, of our world. Yet, apart from Christ, people actually hope for that. Mm-hmm. And that seems silly to me, uh, given our, uh, at a minimum, 2,000 year history 
at a maximum, what is it they say, 8 billion years old, the Earth. And we oh, haven't, yeah, figured, yeah, we yeah. haven't figured this out according to you know Carl Sagan, the Earth is bajillion years old, and yet <laughs> we haven't figured out how to create a leader who is perfectly just and merciful. Mm-hmm. Huh. Uh, anyway, we look to Jesus, and he is the prince. 46 then gets into, um, so you have the holy district. Like, everything is kind of being recreated. Like, that's how you have to think of this. It's a, this is a plan for recreation, mm-hmm. a new, uh, new temple, a new leader, a new people. Because at one point, he's like, who gets in? Mm-hmm. And the only people who get in, I can't find the verse right now. Um, I should have wrote it down. But it's, it's those who have uh, their hearts have been circumcised. Yes. Can you find it? That's what I'm, I'm looking I'm for. I'm desperately man. looking, but when you desperately look, it's sometimes harder to find. But the idea is, uh, he's, Ezekiel, God says to Ezekiel straight up, I don't want foreigners with uncircumcised hearts or flesh. Yes. God's saying, look, this is worth protecting. It's like your family. You protect this because it's pure inside here. We know everybody in the house. If you have a circumcised heart, a heart of flesh, and the real question is, um, would you find it? Yeah. Read it. So it's in 44, uh, verse 6. And say to the rebellious house, to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, O house of Israel, enough of all your abominations in admitting foreigners, uncircumcised in heart and flesh, to be in my sanctuary, profaning, profaning my temple, when you offer to me my food, the fat, and the blood. You've broken my covenant in addition to all your abominations. And then he says, uh, No foreigner uncircumcised in heart and flesh of all the foreigners who are among my people of Israel shall enter my sanctuary. So the, the big idea that's been repeated through uh, Jeremiah especially and in Ezekiel is we get circumcised hearts. Right. It's not just the outer anymore. Right. The inner is happening. Mm-hmm. And so what is, so the question everybody should be asking is not, we, we tend to ask the question, so like who can get in? And we try to reason our way into well, they seem like they're good people or this or that. Yeah. It's like, no, that's not the game we're playing anymore. We're talking about circumcised hearts, right. and that's where the Spirit of God enters and makes your stone heart a heart of flesh. Mm-hmm. And that is what's happening, and you'll see that through the end of Ezekiel. Like God is laying at the plan. You're going to all get new hearts. You have a new temple. Yeah. And then the big reveal is going to be in the New Testament, where, and this is astonishing, you are the temple of God. Right. What? Mm-hmm. Most holy of holies now is in you by Jesus Christ mm-hmm. through the power of the Holy Spirit. What? And But the thing I see is um, also is just God's graciousness. I mean, he wants to be with us. He resets the holy land too. So he's resetting the inheritance. This is the last idea I just yeah. want to say. Is that God gave his people an inheritance. It was a boring section where he listed out yeah. all the cubits and yeah. he listed yeah. out all the land. But here's what's big. Is God gives an inheritance to his people people and just because other nations take it and just because you squander it and you lose it he also set up a year of jubilee right where it returns back it returns back back to what to the inheritance that the god who owns the world Mm -hmm. gave you you might lose it for a time but it is still yours and the way to maintain your only role in all this is to say god have mercy on me yes and he's like great Here's your inheritance. It was lost for a while, but it was never lost to me because I own everything. And so that's why Jesus hears our prayers. That's why he comes towards us. There is, and there is a difference between sacred and ordinary. Mm-hmm. And that inheritance is sacred. 
You are now sacred. And uh, Jesus makes us all sacred in God's sight. Tune in next time because we finish Ezekiel and one of my favorite yeah, I think it's awesome. analogies or allegory. It's a beautiful metaphor for what's actually happening for mm-hmm. the whole world. But let us now move to our New Testament. Our New Testament reading for today is 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4 through chapter 3. I need to let you speak first on this because I might never shut up. <laughs> okay, so just as a reminder... And it's, again, I have to think about this every time I engage it's First helpful. Peter. It actually helped me. I thought about it. Is as a sermon to newly baptized yes. Christians. Yes. And so, again, it's new converts, fresh out of the waters of baptism, now going, who are we and what do we do? You have a new and living hope. Like, this is all real. You're part of this great army. You've been purified. You are the children of God. And so having established who you are through the waters of that, mm-hmm. much like walking through, or much like Noah and his family after the flood, or walking through the Red yeah. Sea, or going through the Jordan, you have crossed the waters of baptism. And survived. And now you're in the family. <clears throat> so this is why. You, you're you a holy people. Yeah. So, so this put was, away all these things. This was really cool. Okay, no, before we get there. Okay. Uh, this was really cool. Uh, in chapter 4, it says, As you came to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. So that's verse 4. I thought you, I thought yeah. you were going to chapter Ch- 4. No, no, no. What? Uh, chapter 2, verse no. 4. I mean, how so, perfectly does this go with Ezekiel? So, uh, one, I love the idea that, okay, remember that the world has rejected your cornerstone. Right. Your Savior. He's been tossed aside and deemed worthless. And so... You, just like him, have been tossed aside, deemed worthless. But instead, by the world, mm-hmm. but by God, you are chosen and accepted, and you are now going to be built upon this cornerstone, upon Jesus, and you are now the holy temple of God. But it's exactly like Ezekiel, because yes. as we say this to you, as I say it to you and mm-hmm. myself, we are a temple that's been destroyed in a heap of yes. rubble. And so we have to believe this. Yes. Like G- Jesus is saying, you are the new temple, mm-hmm. and it's built upon Christ. And you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Yet right now we're going, I don't feel that way. Right. I feel forgotten. I don't feel royal. No one cares. No, everyone thinks we're crazy. We're holy. We're full of sinners. How can this be? Yeah, and I love the idea too. Like right after that, it says, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. So, oh, so that, he's like saying, like you were scattered, you were exiled, you were driven across all the earth, and you had no family, no history, no you were in claims to anything. But now, through Jesus, you have a claim to everything. Oh man, you may pro- and now you may proclaim. So you put away all the complainings of an orphan, and now you proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous, marvelous light. That now, means up to- now I'm just thinking we should read this after we baptize people because uh, we should. Could you imagine? Like I'm trying to. I'm like, man, I wish right after being baptized, someone read this over me. <laughs> well, I would be like, holy cow! <laughs> I wish before I was baptized, someone read the whole Bible to me in a year and then came back <laughs> and spent another year telling me what it all means. But that's why we go to church. He actually says, "I urge you, though, you're still sojourners. Like you're mm-hmm. still in exile." He uses exiles. He's using. He's riffing off of. Ezekiel's vision, mm-hmm. but now he has the Holy Spirit. He's seen Pentecost. He's seen 
the nations convert. And so Peter knows. So he's like, this is who you are. Now, it's very simple. You keep trusting the Lord. Do not start fighting for yourself. Do not start defending all these things. And so your conduct is one of uh, a child who's going to be taken care of, mm-hmm. not as a, someone who has to take care of and create their own existence. Yes. Yeah. But, so again, because you will steal. Pe- you'll steal things. You'll hurt people if you have to survive like that. So uh, always a helpful distinction when reading the Bible and kind of engaging in these things. There's uh, a heavenly reality and there's an earthly reality. So the two kingdoms. Yes. And so what has what Peter has been firmly establishing is our reality and in the heavenly realms, before God, what our reality is. We're Which, a nation, we're a people, we have an inheritance, we have a creed, we have a king, and we have uh, a prince, inheritance, and destiny. And you're the place, you're the, the temple where heaven and earth meet. And that's the heavenly reality. Now, in the earthly reality, things don't look like that or feel like that, and we're going to be go- tempted to go, wait, we need to make that a reality for ourselves here. And he's going, no, no. That is a reality that you just have to trust and believe in. Mm-hmm. But while you are in the earthly reality, this is how things are going to look, and this is how yeah. you can act Because now. these things don't save you. He's firmly established what saves you and yes. who you actually are. Now he gets to, here's how we navigate and live as exiles. Just yes. like Ezekiel said to the exiles in Babylon. He says, obey your authorities. Yeah. But do it because you have enough love. You know you're taken care of by a higher authority. So don't get in trouble don't get in trouble and then ask God to bail you out because you decided to steal and act like everybody else. Mm-hmm. That's not what we're talking about. We're saying you you are the place where heaven and earth meet. A temple, right. no matter what religion, is the veiled, mysterious place where God and earth touch. Right. Now you are that. So therefore, don't get caught up in the affairs of this world. To the like, You get to be a blessing. You get mm-hmm. to bring heaven to earth wherever you go. Right. But it's not going to look like how other people are trying to do it. And so that's that's where he's like, live as servants, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, honor the emperor. I know. That that and then, statement, after being 328 days steeped in the Bible, yeah. when that's Peter drops, honor the emperor, who you know at this point in time is declaring himself to be a son of God and right. worship, and you're like, He's a demonic, horrible person. What? And he's like, right. God set up rulers and authorities, mm-hmm. and they're not perfect. Some of them are straight evil. But in this world, you submit to those authorities to the point that they're not causing you to sin. And he then gives the example of Christ. He's like, look, Christ endured. You can endure. You, this is your faith. You don't return evil for evil. Um, I mean, again, he, he can't help himself because Peter's been there. He's been imprisoned. He's yeah. had to stand before the Sanhedrin and say, like, are we supposed to obey you or God? Right. And so he knows. And um, so many good things. But by the end of chapter two, it's like, by his wounds, you have been healed. Yeah. For you are strained like sheep, but now you've returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. You're just little sheep. You're resident aliens mm-hmm. right now on this earth. People aren't going to see things the way you see it because you're different. Yeah, and, and it's good, too, to recognize, like, we, again, we will experience persecution. We will not, things won't go easy for us just because we're following Jesus. In fact, we might be hurt because we're following Jesus. Yeah. But Peter is saying, look, Jesus was hurt. Right. But the good news is, despite all the hurt that you will incur in this world and in this life, Jesus will heal you. 
Yes. So you can endure it all knowing that one day you will be healed. Because Paul even says nothing will compare. Yeah. Like whatever you endure, it's not going to compare to the new creation. And then he gets into like what Paul does. He has to tell you on the smallest level or the most intimate level how this affects your, um, mm-hmm. your personal life. So this is personally you, but then your wives, your husbands, your kids, your mat. So he breaks down like basically be about the Lord. Right. That's where, that's where you're banking. Like the meek shall inherit the earth. You might be of no value to this culture. I don't feel like I'm a great, mm-hmm. like the world's not going to mourn Adam Barkat, but the few people will. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it's like, that's okay. You inherit the earth. Right. And so love your wives, love, uh, wives, love your husbands, children obey. And he goes through all that. I don't, we don't have time to get into all that, but it should be at this point in the Bible reading, you should understand this is not just structures of authority mm-hmm. for authority's sake. This right. is structures of complimenting and loving and uh, of expressing Christ's love within the family, within your work. But then he gets back to, at the end of three, you're going to suffer for righteousness' sake. So don't repay evil for evil. But instead, see, what we have, that no, apart from Christ, you don't really have this. Right. We have the power to bless people. Yeah. And I can pray. I can choose to forgive them. Say, God, you replace what they've stolen. Mm-hmm. But now I pray you bless them. And what would be the biggest blessing for my enemy? That they turn to Christ. That they would meet Christ and he mm-hmm. would change their whole heart and their whole mind so that they stop having to live like wild animals and live as children in the house of God. And that's why we get to, uh, it's a great, um, apologetics is the study of defending the gospel. And often, if you ever take an apologetics class or anything like that, they will point you to First Peter chapter 3 where he says, uh, in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. Yet, do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when, not if, when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. And then he reminds us of what Christ did again. Right. And so... You don't have to be a Bible genius. Mm-hmm. It helps to know, but the best defense, according to Peter, is you just need to know the hope that you have. And you respond to people with gentleness and respect. And so no matter what argument, you know, it's, it's always shifting and changing the argument that there is no God, there is no Christ, there is this. Your best defense is to say, well, here's what I experienced. Mm-hmm. And I'll do it with gentleness and respect. All I know is that I once was in darkness, now I have light. All I know is that now I'm able to forgive my mom and my dad and not carry around that. All I know is that I'm able to be forgiven. All mm-hmm. I know is that the Word of God helps me live this life and I find joy in creation. That's all I know. I don't know about evolution. and science. I don't know about the authority of the Scripture. All I know is I once was blind and now I see. Mm-hmm. And you can do that with gentleness and respect. And then there are some people who want to get into the arguments. Praise God for them. But for the normal person, know the hope that you have because it is deep and wide and glorious. Yeah, you have an inheritance waiting for you. Man, you are a... uh, You are a carrier of the blessings You're a trust fund baby. Don't get sucked into the uh, haters, Mm -hmm. essentially. And then uh, then again, he reminds them right out of, again, the waters of baptism. Oh, here's how you are anchored. This is how you anchor. And he says, uh, where should we start here? No, okay, I'll I'll set us up and I'll let you give the punchline. Yeah, yeah. He reminds them Christ suffered. Yes. And then he reminds them of an interesting 
development in the story, mm-hmm. Noah's Ark. Right. He takes him back to the sound of rushing waters. Mm-hmm. That there is a day of cleansing, mm-hmm. and cleansing will be salvation to you and judgment to the person who doesn't believe. Right. So he uses Noah. Yes. And then we followed water all the way through. And so it's not a surprise then that Peter says straight up. Yes. He says, baptism, which corresponds to this, to Noah's Ark, now saves you. Not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. So everyone has to deal with Peter saying, now baptism saves you. In our minds, we say, well, no, I'm saved because I made a decision. Faith is a gift from God. Yes. And it's a glorious gift. And he works with us. So you, I pray that everybody makes a decision and says, mm-hmm. I make a decision every day, not out of fear, but mm-hmm. because I love the guy. And I'm like, Jesus, I love you. There, the decision was made. But I can't look back on my decisions and with great confidence. Right. Because I've said I love Jesus. I've done some bad things. Right. Oh, no. So am I saved? Uh, we can anchor our salvation in the waters of baptism because that's when God saves the world Yes, through water. And so Peter says, you remember, you've been baptized. God made a decision for you. He's not going to leave you. Mm-hmm. So you remember that baptism. So yes, baptism saves you the same way when you were adopted. Your parents, Matt yes. was adopted. Your parents took you, gave you their name. What decision did you have in it? You were just a little kid, and you were like, mm-hmm. cool, yeah. because you'd already probably been living with them a little bit. You yeah. already knew them. And that's the thing. You look back at baptism. It's not some magic thing. It's just the place where God says, will you marry me? And you say, yes. Or maybe you were young, and you just found yourself in the family. Will you mm-hmm. be my child? He doesn't even ask. He just takes you. Mm-hmm. And you can look back on your birthday. You can look back on baptism Yes. and say, God acted towards me on that day. And then by God's grace, you declare him every day of your life, and you're not ashamed for the hope that you have. And you're able to present that with gentleness and kindness because you know what? You're just a resident alien. This world is not... We, we are the carriers of heaven. And that's what he wants the new converts to know, and that's what he wants us to know, and that's comforting to me. Thank you, God, for our baptism. Thank you for your word. Whew. Today's psalm, I will be reading Psalm 132, verses 11 through 18. The Lord swore to David a sure oath, from which he will not turn back. One of the sons of your body I will set on the throne. If your sons keep my covenant and my testimonies that I shall teach them, their sons also forever shall sit on your throne. For the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his dwelling place. This is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell, for I have desired it. I will abundantly bless her provisions. I will satisfy her poor with bread. Her priests I will clothe with salvation, and her saints will shout for joy. There I will make a horn to sprout for David. I have prepared a lamp for my anointed. His enemies I will clothe with shame, but on him his crown will shine. Go in peace and serve the Lord. We'll talk to you next time.